0: Welcome back to one more and we all go. We present Eagle Feather, the author, part two.
1: I'm thinking, okay, I'm ready. I can do it this time. I got a game plan. And, you know, and I'm glad they moved me from Fort Madison to a lower minimum security. Because it was a culture shock. I went from being in a cell by yourself 22 hours a day to having to share a a cell with one person. And that one person is enough to make you realize, like, man... Like I'm not ready for the world because right. there's more people out there like this, you
2: know. Did you and, get along pretty good with that inmate. No,
1: oh. <laughs> <laughs> I could keep a roommate. They kept moving out on me. They kept nobody wants to be my cellmate, and I, I I get it.
0: Are you a snorer? I snore, but it's <laughs> <laughs> not that. It was
1: it's in your mind when 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 you have a six by six cell and it's yours after a decade plus, you want things how they are. You know what I mean. Yeah. So when somebody else come in, that's like an intruder, and you don't have much in this world except for what you got in the six by six. So when someone else come in, he just is there's just always tension, because it's like you're an intruder. Like this is mine. Like I want this here. I want that there. Don't move it. So it was.
2: That's about the size of this room, would it?
1: Yeah, I was able to touch both walls. I was able to touch the ceiling. On some of the cells, I was able to put my hand flat on the roof, on the ceiling. Yeah, that was pretty small cells. So
0: do you suppose that because you're in uh, a prison and you have no control over anything, you, you, you can't yeah, exactly. you try to control the things that the, you can't
1: little things you can't control, that you just you keep control of it. Take now, it are, serious. You, are you mm-hmm. the
0: same way now? As a, as a free man?
1: Uh, my apartment is spotless. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's organized. I've I had an ex-girlfriend that came over and said my food cabinets is set up just like a prison store.
2: I was like, yeah. Some of- so you mentioned you cooked in Fort Madison. Did you- No, I was working in the kitchen. And, uh, you weren't a cook, though? No. Okay. I didn't know if, if you picked a, a trade or something you guys worked on in there. Do you guys do any work studies or anything like that
1: no they uh that doesn't exist i mean you learn you learn things along the way from other inmates i'm glad you brought that up because when you first go to prison like when i first went to prison i was always hungry for knowledge you know what i mean and they didn't have those education programs all they had was people there that knew how to counterfeit money. They knew how to make uh bombs. They knew how to make silencers. Teach you how to be a better criminal. Teach you how to be a better criminal. And so when I went there I'm saying I'm learning all this stuff. I'm like, man, you really you know what I'm saying? Cause I didn't know nothing about bad checks. I didn't know nothing about counterfeit. I didn't know nothing about pipe bombs. But within a couple of years I know how to do all of that.
2: <laughs> 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 there there was a movie about that too. They yeah. say that we just came up being super criminals. Yeah, just yeah it was just I would just feed on my
0: mind the wrong things. So, did we get all the the prison questions out of the way? You think? I think so. Any any prison stories you will prison us up? <laughs> this is this. no one's no one's sitting here listening to him. Be like, man, crimin sounds fun. I might hit Fort Madison <laughs> up, <laughs> <laughs> Fort Dodge. Up. So, so now that you're 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 out, you you've been through the system, and now you you obviously have a a pretty good job there. I got uh, a at,
1: real good job
0: at the plant uh there in in Oakland and uh you're contributing to society all you mm-hmm. the the air quotes there but uh but you've also you, you were involved in Toastmasters International mm-hmm. That's where we met uh and like I said you're absolutely phenomenal public speaker uh, where did where did that come from I mean cuz you you weren't you know practicing speeches in your 6 by 6 cell <laughs> actually it
1: did start at Fort Madison they was offering free donuts so I was like, I want me a free donut. So, yeah. and that's how they lured us in. I went there, got my free donut. I'm listening to these people and I'm like, y'all suck. I got my donut. I'm gone. And so they only have it there once a month. So the next month come around, I'm like free donuts. So I go there, and get my little free donut. And, but on the third one, they tricked us. They was like, well, if you want the donut, you got to stand up and say something. The bear claw. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that bear claw was looking <laughs> delicious. I was like, man. And the thing is, when you're standing up in front of people, that's nerve wracking to begin with. But if you are standing up in front of people that have a history
2: of hurting other people, it
1: just added more pressure.
2: It will kill you for that bear claw. <laughs> yeah.
1: But the Toastmasters at uh Fort Madison, man, it was a pretty good group. Is they left all the snaggings outside the door. You know, everybody that went in there, um, there's no gang issue, no gang, no race issue. It was just Everybody came there for the for the single purpose. And I think that's because there's not too many programs in a maximum security penitentiary like that. So we knew and understand we had to protect it, you know. So yeah. anything like all the bullshit, lay that on the yard. When you come here, it's got to be peaceful because you've got to protect it.
0: So as far as the the speeches that other inmates are are given, so was there a guy that was up there talking about this is how you counterfeit a ten dollar bill?
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> they had guards and they had guards and people for, uh, volunteers from the outside world there. And no, every no, it was actually people was given real helpful, real helpful advice. A lot of Bible scriptures being read, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. So and then you continue with that group after uh release did you continue it from fort no, madison to newton to... no i didn't
1: no i didn't even really do it there really <laughs> i just went there for the donuts
2: <laughs>
1: that's it i just went there for the donuts um no I, after i left for fort madison went to to newton i didn't have i had no reason i had access to donuts <laughs> so i didn't have to just it wasn't until i got out and then I was in the RCF, the original uh, correctional facility, and you got to have excuses to go places. And so I was like, oh, uh." and then by this time I had already known that Toastmasters International, I was like, I'm pretty sure there has to be one here in, in Council Bluffs. There just has to be. Come to find out, there's a few of them. So I was like, oh, can I go there? And they was like, well, they let me go. And so when I went there, it was just an excuse to get out of the RCF. That's it. Okay, but I end up loving it, though.
0: That, that was the weird part. Is I'd I I'd show up at the, wherever it was, the community building there yeah. in Council Bluffs, and then you'd come walking in. So after we get done, it's dark out. I'm like, hey, Eagle Feather, do you want to ride home? And you were very adamant that you would not take a ride for me. And I always kind of wondered
1: I would have gotten trouble for what
2: th- what that was about. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. You got to sign a transportation agreement in order oh. to get a ride from somebody. It was
2: that big white van he was driving? I'm not getting your van. <laughs> I ain't falling
1: for that
0: again. <laughs> not today. There was a
2: real puppy inside.
0: <laughs> so so th- what I was trying to get at is what's very interesting is that you've uh, you're an author. Yes. So you've written you've written two books. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that that process.
1: Well, the first the first one, actually, I started it when I was in prison. I was having a conversation. matter of fact, it was Ali, the, the big guy, the one that ended up dying. So um it was him and his dude named Oliver Litt. Oliver Litt is serving a life sentence, and in prison, you're not supposed to cry, you know what I mean? But we were sitting inside the the, the kitchen before they started serving, and he was telling me about why he was in prison. And I remember just sitting there crying and people like people looking like was this dude crying? But his story just briefly, and I don't I don't want to butcher it or do it injustice, but some dude had molested his daughter, did a little bit of time and then got out. And his daughter seen the the person that victimized her and started crying, shut down and uh, Oliver couldn't figure out why. And then finally, when she told him. That was him. He did what he was supposed to do. He went and killed her. Yeah. But I'm sitting there, but it's just, it's just, man, it was just a powerful story. And I'm sitting there crying in a massive scared penitentiary in the kitchen. I'm like, but um, I was like, man, it, like, that was such a sad and powerful story. But um, uh, Hindu, Hindu, no, Ali was like, man, everybody got a story to tell. So that's when I was just started writing Spiritual Warfare.
0: So tell us, I mean, is that what the book is?
1: No. um, Basically, it does have a lot of meat, a lot of the struggles, internal struggles I was going through. Of course, everything is exaggerated for entertainment purposes, you know, but a lot of the uh, the mental anguish that people go through, like, especially growing up in the gang culture and society, like, you know, right from wrong, you know, but the biggest influencers is people in your circle. Now, you know, when they're going out to do something, you know better, but you're just influenced but there's still an internal struggle inside of you of wanting to do good wanting to be a good person but it's just the gang culture has such a strong stranglehold on you
2: it's, and it's it just there's no other options you feel or, or what's what i you mean you has got the hold on you
1: i mean at that time you feel there's no other options because you just you got to fit in you got to be a part of you got to but when you grow up and you realize man there's a whole ton of options but when you're young and when you're stupid and when you don't know how to figure things out it just seems like you don't have any options
0: yeah i can see that it's it's almost the your family mm-hmm. you don't want to do anything to disappoint your family even though you know that's not what you should be doing
1: and the, yeah and here's the thing if i know that if if, if i get caught that eventually, I, I already knew I was going to end up in prison eventually. I just I just accept that as my fate. And I just knew when I went there that so-called family wasn't going to be there. I already knew that. And that's the sad part. And I was still going through the bullshit. God damn. Yeah, stupid. I told yeah. you. I was a dumb kid.
2: So, <laughs> so what would you call that first book? Go ahead and pimp it out there. Spirit, uh, Spiritual Warfare. Okay. And that was your first one? Yeah. And that's available at?
1: Um, You can get it at Barnes & Noble. Uh, I know... I know uh, Walmart had picked it up, but I don't know if they're still carrying it or not. But you can find it at Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon online. Is that know? working
2: out right? you sell quite a few of them?
1: No, I'm still a nobody. My second book did a lot better, uh, The Lost Mayan. It's a historical romance novel.
2: Really? Yeah.
1: I wanted to show the like soft Native the, American erotica? The soft side. Yeah, no, not erotica.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, nah, not erotica. There's absolutely nothing. The first one... It is it's raw, It's unfiltered. So you're gonna have gangs, killing, sex, and stuff like that. But the second one, I wanted uh, a book that a grandmother can read. You know, yeah. like uh, a person and won't feel ashamed or embarrassed because it's about love and about the community. And yeah.
0: So where where did that story come from?
1: Because okay, basically the the premises of the book is that a woman had uh, her village was destroyed. She's from. Uh, She's from Central America. Her village is destroyed. She followed the Hopi Trail up north. Ended up coming across some bad people, some bad tribes, and she's ran, escaped from them, fell into some bad hands. And finally she came across the Lakota. And the Lakota wanted to protect her, you know? And so this group was a small group and they were far away from home. So they was basically trying to get home while protecting not only each other, but this this stranger. Mm-hmm. But the the unity that they had in this book comes from my experience in prison. The reason I said that is because, again, in prison, everything is segregated. You got the Crips, the Bloods, GD, Vice Lords, uh, the Aryans, the KKKs. Those are different groups.
0: So Aryans don't get along with the the KKK?
1: Okay, from the outside looking in, they look solid, but if you if you dove a little deeper, you see that the woods don't get along with the with the Aryans. But they'll still come together though. They'll come together in a heartbeat. But it's just like that with the Mexicans. It's like that with the blacks too, with yeah. the Crips and Bloods. And like, but from the outside looking in, they look like a solid force. Okay. So,
0: it's like you're not racist enough.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but with the natives, our group was so small. We didn't have the numbers that that the other people had our group was so small but what kept us solid and what kept what kept people in fear of us was our willingness to protect each other at all costs does that make sense yeah yeah. so even though we were small we were formidable not to mention we also had towards the end of my time in fort madison we had one of the dangerous most dangerous you know what i'm saying plus we had a big old giant it was six foot eight, six
0: foot nine, four hundred pounds. You know what I'm saying? So even though so, we have So Ali and uh Hindi were native?
1: No, they no oh. they actually they belonged to the uh the more Science Temple. So they was more militant. There was a black militant type.
0: Okay.
1: So uh no Ali um he was Ali wasn't that tall. He would just I think he was only like six foot, but he was just he was like a square. He was just
2: Just wide. Just
1: yeah. wide He's and strong to jump and, over than
0: walk around. <laughs> basically <laughs>
1: Can just bench press six hundred pounds. He yeah. was just he was just he was a monster. And Hindu was skinny. The most dangerous person, he was skinny. He didn't look that dangerous. But he'll pick up a a mop handle and go to work on somebody with in a heartbeat. Yeah.
2: So on your writing side, back to what Frank brought up, what made you want to get into writing? I mean, just to share your story, did you learn to edit, to to type, I mean to this, this, I, to, to write, I should say not type.
1: I had already spent so much time in solitary confinement, and the only thing you had there is books. And when I'm reading books, I'm like, man, that should have went this way. That should have went that way. And I didn't, haven't had any professional teaching or nothing like that. I haven't never been to school or nothing like that. But it was just my love for telling stories, you know.
2: Right? Are they? So is I'm assuming the uh, was the lost Minds. Mm-hmm. What was the second one called? The Lost Mine. The yeah. Lost Mine. I'm assuming that one's fiction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Both of them were fiction. Yeah. I was going to say, that that would have been pretty interesting. You knew the guy. You could say it is. Nobody will ever know. <laughs> <laughs> it could
0: be fact. So the Lakota tribe in the Lost Mine, is that what your tribe is, Lakota? Yeah, I'm
1: Rosebud. Okay. Rosebud Sioux, which is a little branch of the Lakota. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But no, the, the unity that, that they had in the book, that was inspired by the unity we had in prison.
0: I mean, that's, I mean, that's interesting. So do you have a, another book in the works or? Yeah. Uh,
1: this one is a spinoff. Um, well, it's spiritual warfare. There was a couple of murders that took place in spiritual warfare that bleeds over into the, to the, the one that I'm about to be, it's about to be, but should be on shelves here in the next couple of months. Really? Yeah. So it bleeds over into that because uh, the people that they killed were, were drug kingpins. So it created a vacuum. Like everybody, was. so in Balance of Power, everybody's trying to fill that void. So even though it's running a straight line, it bleeds over to Balance of Power where things just take on a life of its own. What's that book called? Balance of Power. Balance of Power. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. That'll great, be, those are great titles. There are three is of them. A great, great titles. So uh, Spiritual Warfare and Lost Man mm-hmm. are available on Amazon.
1: Amazon, Target, online, uh, Walmart online. I'm sure. They, they were when they first came out. You can buy them at Walmart, uh, Target, but I do know Barnes & Noble, Amazon, uh, eBay, places like that.
2: Okay. So, so some, a publisher must have uh, bought a hold of it and they distributed all this stuff or distribute out I don't of how know how they do it.
1: I don't know how they do. It. I just know my marketing team suck, and I hope they hear this. <laughs> I hope they hear it they suck.
0: yeah so if if, if you're so uh so inclined by by those books, the yeah, they're not a trilogy. The first two or the first and third go together. Yeah, they lost my end's kind of a: yeah alone. you
1: you'll, you'll recognize a lot of the characters that were killed off. OK, from the second one, because, again, it creates a vacuum when everybody's trying to they, they find out who actually did the killing and why. And so it creates a it's just a, a struggle for power. Everybody just want to become the top dog.
0: And it's great because in order to have the second book understand, you have to read the first one. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's, you're selling twice as many books now. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. Uh, and the other the other reason you're on the podcast besides the to pimp your books and to help us uh, fill a Sunday afternoon is. Um, you are also in in a play? I was you was so oh, yeah. it's over now.
1: no, we're uh there there's a reboot and we're gonna be doing at the, the Benson playhouse okay june twenty ninth, thirtieth, and then July first. basically it's it's called more than a number. and see what what makes this play so powerful that it was actually written by convicts in NSP. And so when I first got the script, you know, when you first reading through it, I'm, I'm, it wasn't, I wasn't getting it, but when they was explaining, and as we was going through the scenes, I was like, oh my God, this is my life. Like everything that was written on this page is like that's my life. Like I've been through that. I had them thoughts. I wanted to give up. I wanted to do this, and I wanted to do that. It was just, it's just a very powerful play that struck home, just struck so many chords, and I didn't know that, that um. I had Survivor's Guilt. And so I was reading this. I'm like, man. Yeah. So they hit pretty
2: close to home as easy yes. acting. You didn't really have to act, it just had to be you. Yeah, yeah. Basically. That sounds fascinating. So but it's not you guys aren't producing that or putting that on anymore? Um again, uh 'cause Frank and I'd make a mandate out of that.
1: Yeah, we <laughs> we're we're gonna be having a show again in June and the beginning of July at the Benson Theater.
2: All right, we'll share that with Frank, and uh, we'll put yeah, that out, and we'll try to down. get a hold of it. All right. Yeah, Benson Theater, I'd, June 29th, 30th, July that. 1st. I think that'll be a Do you a take great on deal the drunk farmers there? Do they let drunk farmers in there? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no throwing up. All right.
2: <laughs> All right. Uh, is that a deal breaker or not? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so how how did you get – what jobs have you had
1: since you've been free? Oh, I've had so many jobs. Yeah. I've um My first job was at Ruby Tuesday. And I walked off of that job.
2: I don't blame you because I don't like their food. <laughs> it I was like just your plates. Right. It, it, the directing. salad bar was pretty good.
1: <laughs> and I was an asshole about it too. I went <laughs> to act like I was clocking on, and I went to the computer like I was clocking on and walked right out the back door. And so they thought they thought I was there preparing, getting everything ready. And so it opens at 11 o'clock, come 1030, they're blowing up my phone. Where are you? What are you doing? I, I was like, I quit. They was like, you can't quit now. We got to get everything running and open in 30 minutes. I was like, good luck. It is a big move
0: because they had no time to call anybody in. No time. That's amazing. And, so you ever quit a job, Brad?
2: Uh. Yeah, I
1: did. That was just the yeah. first job I quit. I walked <laughs> off. Of <it. laughs> my next job was at um, Omaha Steaks. No. Uh, no, the one um, right off of the Kennedy Freeway. I can't remember the name of it because I only worked there two days. Omaha
2: Packers or something like that? Something
1: yeah. like that. And so I went there, and I couldn't stomach the smell. The smell was just so horrible. And then on my second day, I went, clocked in, dressed out. Cutting or, meat?
2: Or- yeah,
1: I had to cut the meat. And so... We got in single-file line to walk in, and I got in line, and everyone started marching forward, and I started marching backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Went dressed out and just left. I'm like, man, yeah. I, ain't, I ain't doing this no more. Same thing. Then my next job was at Spring Hill Suites, and again, see, uh, this time it was in the middle of the day. And I was like, I'm going on break. And I just never came back.
2: What were you doing there?
1: I was a kitchen manager. Okay. See, the thing is, like, when I'm there, I'm there. And there was not a job I wouldn't do. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. uh, I learned this lesson in prison. Uh, I was working in a laundry room in Fort Madison. And it's basically like a garage with industrial-sized laundry machine. And this is in mid-summer, so it was like 105 degrees in there. You just dripping sweat I remember just the smell it was so hot but I was happy to do it because I was out of my cell and I realized at that moment I was like man if I could do this there's not a job in the world I couldn't do because I was happy to be there to be working for 21 cents an hour the reason I quit the job at Ruby Tuesdays is because of one of the the lower manager like she was trying to dog walk me and I went to the upper manager I'm like look like, she's trying to push me on my square. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just coming here. You know I'm a good worker. You know you can always count on me. But she keeps trying to push my buttons. Yep. And then I was like, I can't do it. So I walked off. Same thing at, um, at the meatpacker place. Same thing at uh at all the other jobs. It just seems like there's always that one person that feels they can just, like, because you're on parole, they can just push your buttons because they know that you can't react.
2: I, I think the people you work with is at least half the job. I mean, the work's one thing, but you got to be working with good people too. Yeah. Cuz if you do a great job or work with miserable people, you're going to walk out.
1: Cuz I love my job at Ruby Tuesday. This is like my first taste of real food. You yeah. know? So <laughs> Yeah. And it was the same thing at the, the same thing at uh, Spring Hill Sweets. And even when I worked at Burger King, like, I loved every single one of them jobs. But there's always that one person, for some reason, whatever battles they're fighting psychologically, they just feel they have to share their misery with me. Because there's nothing I could do or say. Because I was on intense parole. And they yep. knew that anything would send me back to prison. So I was like, I, I can't be here. So maybe. I chose the most assholest way to quit. That's, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, I don't know if I, I, I did quit one job and that was uh, walking uh, or detasseling corn. That sounds miserable. Which is the absolute worst thing a 14 year old lazy <laughs> asshole can do. Go ahead do. and explain for the crew that don't know. So detasseling corn uh, in order to make seed corn, and I, maybe I'm wrong. Yep. Uh, you have to detassel the little tassels on the top of the corn. You have to yank them out. So they don't pollinate the ones next to them. They become seed corn so they can be planted next year. So someone has to walk up and down these corn rows and pull the tassels out of every single stock. And it sucks because it's all day long. Yep. And it's wet and sticky and And scratchy. You start at 4 in the morning and you're not done until 7 at night. Yeah. And they're they're paying more than Twenty-one cents an hour, though, so uh, I have no room to bitch.
2: Right, uh, I, I did when I my first one I quit. I was sixteen or seventeen, I'm working at a feedlot out here west of town, and uh, I'd been going pretty hard and doing a real nasty job scraping this frozen manure out of semi tray. And I whacked my head on the ceiling, and blood started running down my face. I threw down my tool and said, F this, I don't need these jobs for five bucks an hour." And I was sixteen, so I absolutely did need the job for five bucks an hour, and, and the ladies. The lady's super sweet. She's still one of my friends today. She said, well, no, we can talk about this. I said, nope, I don't need it. And she said, well, why don't you go talk to my husband? I said, nope, I'm leaving. <laughs> and then a couple, uh, like a year later, I went back and helped him do some other stuff anyway. And he said, yeah, I understand you're young, a lot of growing up to do. But, yeah, I, it I was more pissed off than anything. I should have yeah. finished the job. But the boss that I worked for went out there and finished that job by himself until like 9 o'clock that night and did it himself instead of, Having somebody else do it, yeah, paid himself a little bit more than five dollars an I hour. I suppose, <laughs> I suppose.
0: So, is there uh, anything else about the Eagle Feather that we need to know? Um, I'm just out here trying to do good now.
2: So, what, what what about your bucket list? What What do you have moving forward in the future? Here, do you got something you want to try doing? Retire? You want to try to travel some? I do, but a if I tour, yeah, that's something
1: I want to do. But I'm just, I'm, I'm just happy just to be free, just to be able to work. You know.
2: So some, I mean, just knowing you for 20 minutes here, does it seem like something you'd want to do is like take your book to other prisons and try to, Hey man, there's, there's another way than what you're doing.
1: Oh, I do mentoring. Yeah. Like, um, like, uh, we're going to go inside of youth detention centers. Um, when usually when I mentor is usually for people that's usually either going in or coming out. I like, a, these are a lot of at risk youth. So, um, I was going to go with George Volts to uh, Tecumseh to deliver a speech to them. But at the last second, man, I just... And I didn't realize I had uh, post-traumatic until I got in the car. And I was like, man, what am I doing? I'm about to go to prison voluntarily. Like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) I was like, what if if it's a trick? You know, just stupid (laughs) things started going through my mind. I'm like, what if they um, found out you did this and this? And I'm like... So I just I, I like pull over. I can't go. Yeah, like, I couldn't do it. I think I could do it now. I'm pretty sure I can do it now.
0: If anybody's gonna trick you going into
2: prison, it's not gonna be Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> but in my mind, I'm like they're all in cahoots. <laughs> well, I, I did hear that there was these guys that were getting arrested down in Georgia for something, and they said, "Hey, why don't you?" come down here and pick up your free Super Bowl tickets. Like, well, I love Super I saw- Bowl tickets.
1: Yeah, with the uh, Washington to- Redskins. I was in D.C. I right. was in Washington, D.C. <laughs>
2: yeah, and so they went and arrested these guys that were all felons. They were trying to get picked up. And they say- all had a
1: yeah. warrants, so they just shipped them out, so they had to bring their ID and prove where they were to pick up these free uh, football <laughs> tickets. <laughs>
0: and
1: it was happy and excited, celebrating in handcuffs.
2: Oh, man. <laughs> I do love the Super Bowl. Isn't that an entrapment? So you know, there's a they point weren't. they're getting locked up. <laughs> How long before the stupidest guy's like, "Hold on, so you're saying we're not going to Super Bowl?"
0: the <laughs> <laughs> bus
1: ride to the Super I, Bowl. He in the waiting. He in the holding saying Something about man, <laughs> I'm, about this, I'm about to see the cheese plate. <laughs> <laughs> we
0: can at least watch it on TV, right? <laughs> that's that's pretty amazing. So, uh, as as far as. Uh, is words of wisdom we always uh, in the podcast eagle feather with uh with words of wisdom what's the the one thing that you want people to to know
1: nobody's coming to save you